You're listening to Monster Riff Presents with your host, Monster Riff Editor, Pat Schober. And now, here's Pat. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Monster Riff Presents, brought to you by MonsterRiff.com, the search for the ultimate riff. As always, I'm your host, Pat Schober, and with me today is special guest, Tony Reed of Moss Generator. Welcome to the show, Tony. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. It's great to, great to have you on the show. Good to be here, as usual. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, you guys have some big news uh, coming up. Uh, December 16th, you have your next album coming out time wounds uh do you pronounce the the slash in there is it just time wounds nope, is it time, time wounds. wounds time wounds yeah i don't know i just sometimes i make weird choices when it comes to stuff like that like spelling moss with one s that's haunted me for the whole time so uh yeah it's time wounds i i like it from like the visual factor though because it there's there's something a little extra there's a little extra salt or, or pepper in there uh when you when you see it visually on the page uh, but it's it's your it's your eighth studio album and i i sat down to listen to this one the way i usually do with moss generator albums and that's like with an open mind because i i know there's going to be some twists i know there's going to be some turns i know i know it's it's going to be a blast this one took me by surprise though i feel like uh this was very eclectic and there was a lot of different influence involved but can you try to describe what this album is for fans of Moss Generator? Like, would you compare it to any past albums as like a point of reference? Or do you feel like this is completely fresh? Well, the, actually, oddly enough, it's compared to something that only a small handful of people will know. And that's only in our region here in Washington State and even a smaller one in our town. It sounds a lot like me in my early to mid 20s, which would have been the early 90s. The music I was making then sounds like this. So I've kind of come full circle. I mean, it sounds like a more mature me. So what it really sounds like is me over the last 30 plus years. Or, or it's me going, oh, okay, now I'm just going to let the door open to everything and anything that I like. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, when I let those floodgates open, this is only just the first, the very first flood. I'm part of the flood. I, I, I can't even imagine what could happen, but I've been, I've been letting this enter the band over the last few records. I've been, the things have been changing on the records and this, this is, was really weird as a writer to do, but after it was done and I was able to put it all together and, and hear it as a finished product, it's not so far removed from our last album. It, I mean, mm -hmm. it is, but you really hear where I was, what I was thinking of going on some of the tracks on the last album. And then I just let it completely go on this. And a lot of these ideas aren't flushed out. They are demo. This is, these albums are demos mm -hmm. and we never got to return to the tracks after we made the demos. So it's, it's, uh, it's basically a culmination of, of a lot of influences that that I like that don't necessarily fall in the heavy hard rock category, which is probably almost what I listen to least as I get older is the, my hard rock influences. I, I want to touch on that in a second, but it's it's interesting. Like I, I did read that these, you know, these were originally demos and there was there was an intentional decision to just 
let them be. What, where did that decision come from instead of, like you said, fleshing them out a little bit more? Well, we had come in, it was two sessions during the summer of 2021. And John, we live in Washington. John lives in Texas. And even the two of us that live in Washington live a few hours from each other. So he came up for two week to 10 day writing sessions. So we would basically come in from nine in the morning till five or whatever and write a song every day and record it. We would just leave the recorder going and there's hours of us flushing out these arrangements. So I might have something, oh, you know, hey, I got up at seven and started riffing and then here's what I got when you guys come in. So we did those two things. And there's some riffs that are actually from one of one of the riffs is from 1989. I'm still mm. pulling riffs. Some one of them from 91. And there's ideas that that come from the past. And so we did that. We did these two sessions. We had one more session that we only came up with one tune. So I took months to to do all the overdubs and arrangements because some of these songs aren't how they were when we were. And I cut out the stuff or added stuff. And uh, then it came time for us to we started talking about coming back up and retracking everything now that we can hear it and there didn't seem to be a lot of enthusiasm for continuing or for redoing it would be like okay we could we could ruin it by overthinking it but me being a, a, a like a perfectionist or an arrangement freak i had all kinds of crazy recording ideas like, let's do this song with this kit. And this one, we would switch kits in the middle and record this section with one drum set. And so in the mix, you hear me trying to do that with these demo drums. You hear drum sounds actually change with, mm. within the song. So we all kind of went through this funk where we weren't feeling like working on it. And then I just said, you know, these are so close to being done. Then we all agreed that, yeah, we can we can accept that this is finished and put it out as it is because the energy is there that's what's there's something about it being brand new and being reckless mm -hmm. than over actually perfecting it in the studio but over the years i've learned how to record imperfection and make it work you know work get feel and energy over perfection is what i'm i've become good at i think as a as a producer yeah so yeah that's the whole story with that and then it just I got a real, I had a, a this weird timeline that I had to make on another project. So I said, I'm finishing this and sending out before this other thing happens. And I just finished it in like a week and then wow. sent it off to press. So yeah. we decided to put it on our, on, I decided to put it on my record label uh, because, you know, the, the general process of, of pressing records now is eight to 13 week, months to get it out. So I couldn't wait that long. Yeah. So I said, I'm, I found, a, I, I got it in six and a half weeks. And, <laughs> That's awesome. and, yeah. And I'm like, I'm, and it, you know, it'll, it's almost sold out now. So it'll probably come out somewhere else down the road on another label. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so yeah, that's the, the big process there. You you mentioned the the energy level and wanting to retain that. And I, I have to give you kudos on that because my, my typical prep, for for shows like this or even even when i do reviews is um i'll play the i'll play the album a hundred times in the background mm -hmm. as i'm like going about the day before i do like a real sit down listen just so i can get familiar with it and uh i had a lot of trouble doing that with this with this record there are so many moments that are so energetic and 
just really demand your attention that I kept find I found myself continually clicking back to that tab to like see where I was in the song. And it's uh it's very engaging in that way. And I think that that energy is just permeates through throughout the record. Oh, that's good to know because you it's hard to judge on your own when you're so close to it. You like it, of course, as the 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 creator of it, but sometimes you don't know. And and there's been a few singles out that are bouncing around. So we're we're getting some pretty positive feedback. On, on those as well and of course there's going to be the people that want more of just would rather it just be a hard rock record yeah but we've st we, like i said we've been moving away from just a straight hard rock band for a few years well i think people like the change though they like the difference what can we hear that's different yes you know and there's a few bands out there that really that really run in that in that way that i uh, uh enjoy let's dig into that because the the list of bands that I, I there are a couple of different promo materials that I was was looking at and the list of the bands that like influence this record are are very different. You go from like Faith No More to like Radiohead to Black Sabbath to Pink Floyd to Jane's Addiction. And although like they all fall under like the rock umbrella, these are pretty different sounds. So what can you talk to me a little bit about the influences that you have today? You talked a little bit about like how you were songwriting in the nineties. Are, are your influences, have your influences shifted much? And how, how do you think this is an update of, of your early songwriting and that sort of energy that you brought to the table? Well, for instance, Asia Minor, the first song, it's in a tuning that Joni Mitchell used on an album called Hashira. And I learned one of the songs and I played it and, I, and then I said, okay, I'm going to, to use that tuning to write this song. So that there's an influence. And, uh, yeah, there's so many, there's so many more. It took me like four or five days to even come up with three bands that I could try to go for fans of because it's so hard to pinpoint. When I when I was writing things for the singles, there's only really one song that I could go. There's an obvious influence. There's an obvious one on this song. I know where this came from, but generally it just seems to be such a a melting pot, if you, you know, if you want to say it that way, that is so vast and so dense with so much stuff that you can't pinpoint it, you know. And uh, I think calling back to my youth would be something where my songwriting is more schizophrenic. Like the mm -hmm. songs, a lot of them don't return to where they started. And, and and there was a review recently where somebody was really seemed really distraught by that. They were actually pretty negative about that in the review it was it was weird to listen to but that's a progressive rock thing you know most king crimson songs don't come back anywhere near where they start and they're one of my biggest influences and not necessarily you know when i say that they're not musically a lot of our stuff doesn't sound like them all the time it's their their take on music and and their dedication to it so i would say the schizophrenia of the music of course calls back to, to when I was younger, the lack of riffing. There's not like heavy riffs involved in it. It's uh, a different, uh, the guitar style has more of a picking style around the record. Um, there's not as nearly, there's not the classic, there's gotta be a guitar solo in every song. Over half the record, none of them, none of the songs have guitar solos in it. Which if, if, the, if the song doesn't call for it, why put one in there? That's what I've always said, but, and then, the growth just comes from years and years of exploring things. And, and like I said, there, there are a few bands out there that really have this, this same kind of mentality that, that I, that I look at and am inspired by. And I, I, there's not, 
there's not a lot of modern music that inspires me. I can recognize what they're doing and respect it, but I don't, it, it's not pushing me into writing a certain way. I I wanted to, to head off in a, a different direction, but I, I think this is a good segue. Um, not not to put you in the hot hot seat, um, okay. but in, in preparation for this, I I found an old interview, not old, a couple of years ago, you did an interview with uh, the Sleeping Shaman. And I wanted to ask you something about what you said in there. So I thought it was really interesting. I also thought it was really important what you said for, for this scene, because like I, I named Monster Riff because I like riffs and I like heavy uh, sort of repetition uh, that okay. a lot of that came out of, of Black Sabbath, but you who talked about sort of the the lack of sort of inspiration in stoner rock today. And if you're cool with it, I want to read off the quote and kind of get a gut okay. reaction from you. So this is what you said. Uh, and I think I think you're right on the money. You said, I may sound like an ass for stating this, but I think the stoner rock movement has devalued the impact and importance of Black Sabbath. I find it difficult to explain when I talk about it, but it's really frustrating to me. Many people in bands fail to recognize the complexities of the music of Black Sabbath and only focus on the top layer, which are the riffs. Underneath those riffs lives an incredible beauty and emotion. It's a complete musical dichotomy. I've spent 20 years in Moss Generator chasing that formula, trying to come up with something that even comes remotely close to a song like Killing Yourself to Live, pure heavy rock perfection. And uh, I read that and I was like, he just articulated something that I've been kind of struggling to say a lot uh, myself because there there is like a, a huge amount of of stoner rock I think that I don't want to say it's phoned in but it's like this is a cool riff let's like just build a song around this riff and then we'll put lyrics sure. on it and drums sure. and bass and stuff so I, I'd love to talk to you because there are a lot of bands in this space that are that say they are directly influenced by Black Sabbath but they don't really have that Black Sabbath sound or intricacy. So in, in your mind, like what, what is that missing link? What, what is it that a lot of bands today that are trying to create this type of music are missing that, that you see in songs like Killing Yourself to Live or in other of those classic Black Sabbath tunes? Well, melody. Believe me, I, I master and mix the, a lot of these types of bands for a living. And uh, I hear a lot of, like I said, the top layer. Now, you can play a heavy riff. You're never going to play it as heavy as Iomi, or you know you're he's the the master and uh i think for me it's um melody well song crafting melody and the fact of what they were using as influence like really if there there wouldn't be a sabbath if there wasn't a beetle you know ozzy's was able to write such wonderful vocal melodies over this brutally heavy music at times but then Iomi would come in and use, you know, the the four, the the you know, these certain these certain like snowblind, the snowblind bridge. My eyes are blind, but I can see. Check that. How how awesome is that? Like, you know, okay, I'm and and I'm in a Sabbath tribute band. I've been playing in a Sabbath tribute band for about 25 years, and I play drums. And even when we get to that bridge, it's an emotional reaction because it for one, you're playing some of the greatest music, but it's I, I, see, like like in that uh, thing you read. It's hard to explain, you know. And 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 but people can be people can be moved by by something and not be able to interpret it. And I think that that's that's my biggest downfall as I look at myself as a musician is I can't interpret 
how music makes me feel. I can't make my own version of it. How can I make people feel what I feel when I listen to that? And that's every musician's wish. Mm -hmm. Can I make somebody feel like I feel when I listen to that? Right. Can I make somebody feel the way that this person made me feel? Yep. And yeah. that's like, and like I said in that, I've spent the most of my life chasing, killing yourself to live. I feel like with the new album, I, I didn't give up on that. I just let my true, my whole self in there. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's elements missing. You can't put everything, especially in a single album, which we did record a double album. So there's a whole other record of stuff sitting there that will be released as, cool. a, as a companion record. Nice. It's weirder than this record. It's the weirder <laughs> stuff. Like, so, and, and I still hold to that Sabbath, you know, the devaluing property. It's worse now than, than when I did that interview. It's so disheartening. Like you feel like you can't, it makes me not want to listen to Sabbath sometimes. Of course, once I start, it's like, it's just, you know, it's just blasting and you forget what that means to you. That happened recently too with Zeppelin. Sometimes Zeppelin goes way down, way down on the list of faves. I mean, they're still in the top 10, but it goes way. And then all of a sudden you're, you're listening and you're just completely yeah blown away by it. Yeah. I do that when, when I'm reviewing music, I'll be like, oh, this sounds like that, that one Sabbath song. And I'll, I'll go back to that song just to listen to it as a reference point. And then half an hour later, I realize I'm listening to the entire record and I forgot about the review that I was doing yes, earlier. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of got on this because we're talking about contemporary acts, music that's being made today. Is is there anyone or any bands out there right now that, that get you excited? Motorcycle, but they've been around, you know, since 90, 91, but they still make music that it so i'll they're a band where i'll listen to something and go i really really wish i would have written that and they yeah. also make music since we're pretty much the same age like i've we've done some gigs with them and and, and bent did a guest appearance on an ep of ours we're the same age so i feel like at least 90 percent of the music they make i completely understand where they came from I just sent him a message the other day. Hey, man, did you get that song? Did you get this from that FM song? Like, he's like, yeah, we never even heard FM. I'm just listen to Journey, this song called Journey on the first FM record. And because it sounded like him. So, you know, um, and the odd thing is I and I never I didn't hear them till 2014. Mm. We played Freak Valley Festival in 2014. And I saw him and was since then huge fan. And here's something I was going through some paperwork and stuff recently and i found a review of the first moss record from 2002 and it says they remind me of the norwegian band motorcycle i'm like wow how weird is that like <laughs> you know so i think that just because of our age we move along the same path yeah and uh another band is called once and future band they're from oakland i believe mm. and they are a lot of 70s fusion they're like like fusion meets the beach boys and the Beatles oh, cool. real. And it's really cool. It's not heavy at all. Really. There's a few things, but man, the arrangements are just, it just knocks me out, man. It's so cool. And you hear like the Steely Dan or the Gino Vanelli, mm -hmm. or you hear all this weird stuff in early Ambrosia or, or stuff like that. And it's just so cool that someone's still doing that, you know? And, and, and I, I like Thundercat quite a bit too. That's another modern artist. But Thundercat's a little upper 
than Motorcycle or Once in Future yeah. Band. And I, I cite those guys a lot. I had to, when I was making Time Wounds, I didn't listen to either of those bands the whole time. I made a point. Those records haunted me while I was making this because I didn't want to use any of their influence on it because I'll listen to them and I'll be really inspired to write. Not necessarily to write something like them, but to write. Like, oh, I need to go right. write something because this is so cool. And and that's when a modern outfit can do that to a 53-year-old man. That's <laughs> that's pretty exciting, you know? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, you get stuck in your ways after, you know, I'm just going to refer back to Genesis or, or, or something, you know, early, early whatever, early Rush or something, you know? Who, that's was a, Rush is a huge influence on me, early, early Rush. Now, if I would have been able to re-record the new Moss record, I was going to go for the sound of permanent waves. I wanted the sound to be like that really dry mm-hmm. sound, like a Terry Brown production. But anyway, okay. Moving on. <laughs> that, that's all, all great. Well, since we're, we're talking about writing, I, I did want to touch on the lyrics for, for this record. There were there were a few lines that stood out to me, and I was like, that's so cool. Um, stuff like, here comes another birthday song to make you disappear. Uh, I've got a bullet to my head, and I'm starting to get nervous. And then this is also the song title, but I'm getting good at revenge. Like, there were, there were so many punctuation points in this song where I was like that's awesome like that's such a good line can you talk to me about like what what is your your lyric process like how, how do you sit down how do you write lyrics how do those come together okay let's just go from the top of like we just recorded a demo let's say that demo gets worked on guitar wise whatever sussed out generally and I and th- this goes for this album and quite a few of the other albums I sit down with the demo in this, in this case, it being the final case. Okay, so what did you say? Uh, here comes another birthday song uh, mm-hmm. to make you despair. I will sit down with the track with headphones on and I will do like a hum a melody and try to, okay, that feels good to me. And I'll go almost line or verse by verse and just sing it. I'll write it right there. I'll figure out the melody and Sometimes I'll mush mouth it just to get what the phonetics are, what what words would sound good with me singing this. And sometimes the first lines that come out of my mouth, just the first things that come out in the melody that I have are what the lyrics actually end up being. And then, so most of the records were the first time I ever sang it. Like that, the, most of Time Wounds was the first. I never went back and fixed the vocals. Mm-hmm. I just laid it down line by line, writ, written down. And then wrote the song just sitting right there. Sometimes I'll go out, oh, okay, I can't get this bridge right now. So I'll come back later and try it. But generally, it's sitting at a finished song and then inserting, writing the lyrics and recording them right there. So that's the process. Um, and, and, you know, and obviously this, this record is all about time, almost in its entirety. Getting good re- at revenge isn't. Like, that was just a cool... Well, I have, in my phone, I have a titles, band and song titles in my notes. There's hundreds of them. And so I'll just go, what does this song feel like? Oh, it feels mm-hmm. like getting good at revenge. So I'll just take that out. And then there, there's the song. So there's yeah, never, I, it's, there's no poetry before. I never write lyrics before the songs are done. Only the song title exists. And I don't even know what that's going to go to. There is there is a lot of of time, and there's also demise, like the the aging process, regrets, yeah. 
Um, yep. Was was this meant at all to to at any point to be a sort of concept album in that? Or absolutely. Tell it, tell I, it. When I when I started the record, I says this album is going to be based on time and its destructive habits, and but it's almost like telling people not to waste your time. You know, I have son, grandson. Don't you know? Don't waste it. And I don't feel like I have in my lifetime. So it's not a warning to me. Of course, you made some, you know, I should have taken somebody up on that offer when they wanted to put out a record for me, you know, when I was young or whatever. I mean, I, I made a few mistakes along the way, or I should have been more persistent about, you know, what I did with my music career. But I don't think that I, I dilly-dallied in my lifetime. But I see a lot of people that do. And and that's like that comes back to like or that turns around to the modern world of like someone that will sit on whatever f- social media thing and post 20 things in a day. I'm like, what are you doing that you have the time to do that? You know, just so that that has a lot to it, a lot to do it, man, because, you know, and, and the time thing has to do with, you know, I'm 53 and you start to see the you start to see the past is is longer than what you got mm-hmm. left there's that and then there's the fact that yeah i might i might live 30 years but i might only be able to play another 15 or whatever so there's that craziness so it's a mental mental thing and yeah, a lot sure. of my stuff is therapy it's, it's therapy that i'm therapying myself through it you know some albums have a lot of that but anyway so yeah time is the is the deal on this one before the the show started, we I had asked you how many active projects you were engaged with, and the number was five. And I can definitely see, like, I mean, I look back at your career, and I'm like, he's he's been productive forever. What do you think you? And I'm sure that that has, like you said, has to be therapeutic because you've been in a constant state of like creation for for decades. But if you weren't so active in music, if you weren't if you weren't playing and recording and producing all the time, what do you think you would fill up your, your day with? What would I fill my day with? I can't even, does that with, if I'm not a record producer and an engineer as well? Or Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think a lot of this album is about finding purpose, right? And, yeah. and becoming, being fulfilled and then kind of leaving a mark. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that you've contributed a lot to music uh, and you've, you've championed that along the way. And if you weren't doing that, what do you think you'd be doing? That's really difficult to imagine because I don't even have any hobbies that don't include like hobby record collecting or yeah, there's, there's, I can't even imagine that, you know, it might be some kind of odd travel that included just driving through driving back roads across the country, but only small roads. That's really the only thing that I enjoy doing that doesn't involve music, but it involves a soundtrack usually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't, that's just, uh, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I like to watch TV. That's my, you know, I'll, I'll come out and watch TV when I get overwhelmed with the many projects. I, you know, but that's documentaries and stuff like that. That's not a hobby. That's just, that's just getting your mind resetting. It's almost mindless. Yeah. Even though it's a learning, learning thing. But as, as we, we talked a little bit about, past versus future and as as you kind of reflect on on the band's history and your history as a musician what are what are some of the moments that uh are really precious to you 
from Mosh Generator. Like I know you, you've toured all over the United States, over Europe. You've played with a bunch of cool bands, but what what really stands out to you? I mean, there's certain moments that have you know. There's moments like Hellfest the first time in France, which we're playing in front of like that one's probably you know nine or ten thousand people which at that point was the largest audience we'd ever played so when we finished the first song and it sounds like kiss alive oh i mean it's i was that was that was a moment that that i had been waiting for my entire life on stage and we we played some pretty big festivals but this was like where the audience is louder than the band coming off the pa so Mm. you know that's you know that that's a moment there's other, you know, there's other travel moments. There's stage moments. There's sometimes on stage that that uh, you can't explain when there's something happening that's really special. There's there's that kind of stuff. I think everything has just become so just massed together now. But sometimes those kind of thinking of those kind of things after doing so much, I can't even come up with general things like you mm-hmm. know, it's it's that's something I have to think a lot about. And it's it's a common question. Somehow I can't ever I can't ever answer it without a a, a, a lot of thought, you know. That's because some maybe maybe these memories change, the meaning of them change. I mean, you, it, you build you build friendships too, the, you know, uh, with the band members. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are special things, and 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 those are things that we touch on. The memories of oh, remember when we like you know did this those those are just being having those is probably the most important thing out of all of it i'm getting all tripped out <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's okay <laughs> um what what has been the the biggest show you've played so far today it would've been the second time we played hellfest and that was i think it was you know it was 15,000 people or something like you know because we were playing early slot before before it was 40,000 people but i find myself not being very comfortable being in such a large situation that's mm-hmm. something that everybody wants wants to do and when you do it you realize i realize personally it would take me quite a few shows to even get used to playing to connecting with an audience where they're so far they're almost further away than the venue size i'm used to playing Mm-hmm. Like from the stage to the to the to the fence is really far away, and so you can't connect. The, the the few times that we've played on on a really large stages like that, we had to move all of our gear to the edge of the stage where we were right next to each other, and at the front of the stage so that we can try to feel like we were, you know, together. Like we're, you know, if we could, we would have had the drums right down on the floor, right, you know, yeah. off of the riser, right. But. Uh, is is it a is it a mixed emotion then to do a bigger show like that? Because like most most of the shows I go to are maybe five hundred people max, yeah. usually yes. like a hundred, yeah. and it's such like a nice intimate experience. But what you're describing here, it's like you quote unquote made it, you made it to the big stage, but now you have that disconnect. Yeah. So like, is it is it a net positive or is it? Do you find yourself wishing like oh, I wish I was kind of you know at that smaller venue around the corner well yeah and and what was odd was the last time we played hellfest the week the warm-up show was was in a place that held about 40 people crammed in there just for so we could warm up and of course i like that show a lot better but i think that um you learn how to deal with that that's the thing like 
after a while, I would learn how to find the dude who was furthest back and connect with them. Because in that line of sight, you've connected with everybody else along the way. And that's a learned thing after years of playing in small, small, you know, like two to 500, 600, you know, capacity places, which I prefer. But that's only because I don't know how to command a larger festival type audience at this point. Now that I've thought about it more, I'm sure it would be different. Mm -hmm. I have I have one more question for you and then I'll, okay. I'll let you go. You've been doing this for a while. I think that you've built quite a reputation for yourself. There are a lot of, of young bands that are, are just coming up. They're trying to cut their teeth a little bit. What what sort of advice do you have, if any, for, for young musicians that are just getting together and starting to write music or maybe well, even prepping their first album to come out? Well, oddly enough, as, as I get older and as I see things change, I almost feel like I need to be asking them, how do, how do you guys connect with people? Which is the social media thing. And I've learned that, that although you don't, you know, when you're my age, you don't feel like you're old, but somehow there is an issue with it. There is an issue with your age. So, um, along with, of course, I would ask them how you guys getting all your, you know, getting all the, this attention, you know, it's always just put everything you have in, in, into the music, play every day, be proud of what you know, you know, take pride in your craft. Don't, you know, don't like, like take for instance, in, in the, you know, I played a lot in punk rock bands and stuff like that. And everybody thinks that, that oh yeah, I don't have to be able to, to play well to do this or i should just play crap you know i i guess it's just take pride in everything you do no matter what it is and that's how i, I try to have people around me that are like that that'll like anybody like you know my buddy who works on my tattoos he takes a lot of pride in his work and i see mm -hmm. that so there's just that kind of stuff you, you'll if you do that you'll find that 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 people that that come around you and and follow what you're doing they have that same mentality and uh I guess it depends on what kind of fans you want, but yeah, I, I, I just work your hardest at it. I guess that's, that's what I've always done. I put everything into it. I love uh, that. That's all I can say. Just put, you know, put it all in there. There is a, I think it's a French movie called we are the best. Have you seen that? No, I have not. You're talking about like forming a punk band just because you can. It's about three young girls well actually two young girls who decide to start a punk band but neither of them play an instrument so they eventually find this uh, this girl at school who plays guitar and plays it really well and she ends up being the entire band but it's just like a nice lighthearted coming of age story about a band that mm. can't play music <laughs> well and it that doesn't and because you can't play doesn't mean you can't make good music you know i mean once you even in the most rudimentary situations that's what i have a lot of respect for is 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 people that know how to take you know two chords or even a single chord and make something really great out of it that's something that i admire because i'm i'm a muso i like to fuck there's not enough going on in here and this song needs more stuff like that's right. not necessarily it's true so you know i work on that over time too how can i make it simple and 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 work for me so uh time wounds comes out De december 16th Anything else that anything else you want to plug before we sign off here? Yeah, a couple of things have come out recently on Goyer Death. There's a Judas Priest tribute album that came out um, that's, that Moss is on 
and a lot of other great bands. I actually, they put a song of, of me on there from 1995. I did a Judas Priest song called Tyrant. And and Buddy coaxed me into putting it on there. I was I was pretty tripped out because I was young, you know. And then they have a, a like a friends and family compilation that the second one came out too. So, and then there's another record coming out on Glory or Death in probably in the next five months, and it's all the Moss J Rare 45s on one record. Oh, so cool. you're finding them all in one place because some of them are pretty hard to get now. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then there's a, other bands, the Hot Spring Water. There's a band I had in the 90s called Wood Rot that's coming out on Wet Records, which is a subsidiary of Warrior Death. So there's just lots of stuff. And if you follow, you know, if any of the, the social media stuff, I, I try to keep stuff posted, you know, as much as much as possible. Like I said, there was a bunch of PR stuff that showed up at once and I forgot about it. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'm just in the middle of PR craziness. but I like it. It's fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out today. This was a blast. Ah, uh, thank you for being informative and you know, I mean, informed on on what on what uh, what I'm doing. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I will right, we'll see you next time. All right.